Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Now what's the matter? I'll never dance again. I'm a cripple. Pure hysteria. You've made yourself believe that. It is otherwise you'd fight. What is there to fight for? Ah, you see. You admit it. What is there to fight for? Everything. Life itself, isn't that enough? To be lived, suffered, enjoyed. What is there to fight for? Life is a beautiful, magnificent thing. Even to a jellyfish. (laughs) What is there to fight for? Besides you, you have your art, your dancing. I can't dance without legs. I know a man without arms who can play a scherzo on a violin and does it all with his toes. The trouble is you won't fight. You've given in, continually dwelling on sickness and death. But there's something just as inevitable as death, and that's life, 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 life. Think of the power that's in the universe, moving the earth, growing the trees, and that's the same power within you, if you'll only have courage and the will to use it. Good night. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This week, I chose the movie. I don't know how Dan feels about it. Dan, what are we talking about? Limelight. Limelight from 1952, Charlie Chaplin, based on his own novel, Footlights, which he then adapted, or I think that this is supposed to be a sequel to the novel. I love this movie. I stumbled upon it and I stared at it for about five minutes. This was back when you didn't have that little menu that told you what movie you were watching, and I was staring at it, and I knew it was Charlie Chaplin, but I had to go look it up, and it was. And I watched the movie to the end and then caught it from the beginning again. That was a great viewing experience. Uh, Dan, I've loved this movie for a long time, but we've never talked about it, and I suggested it for the podcast, so get ready to give me your thoughts and go. This movie is The Red Shoes meets Death of a Salesman, And it's also a sibling to The Entertainer with Laurence Olivier and The King of Comedy. This is also the second movie we've done in which a character leaps to their feet and screams, I can walk, I can walk. What's the first one? Dr. Strangelove. (laughs) So anyway, those are my silly things. But here's what I think about this movie. If you like Charlie Chaplin, you are are predisposed to like this movie. Everything he does in it, you're going to go along with it. If you don't like Charlie Chaplin, no, I happen to like Charlie Chaplin a lot. We've done movies of his before on the show. If you don't like Charlie Chaplin, I could see that this would turn you off. The person would say, there's a little too much mincing. There's a little too much sentimentality. And we'll talk about the sentimentality later. Maybe some of the speeches go on too long. But I think overall as a film, I think it's a great movie because I happen to love Charlie Chaplin. And I was really glad you turned me on to this movie. I found it totally enjoyable from beginning to end. I think it's a great movie about what a sad business it is to try to be funny all the time that that's a great thing about it it's a portrait of the artist as it has been and 
it's impossible not to read this as Chaplin like, talking about his own life and about like, did I leave the audience or did the audience leave me? Because the first thing that struck me about it is that he's not bitter. He's not angry that the kind of world has passed him by. He has his posters up. He lives in the boarding house. He he's a great he does a great drunk scene by the way. The the part with the key he's a, he's a fabulous drunk. But he's not full of anger. Claire Bloom kind of reawakens something in him that his desire to go back on the stage. But I thought that was interesting. It's not Chaplin saying, "Well, th the world doesn't like these vaudeville acts or these musical acts anymore," and 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 it's the world's fault. I'm still great. He's you know who he's not. He's not um, Gloria Swanson. I am big. The pictures got smaller. So I think that was really interesting about it, that it's it's kind of like about a guy who has this thing that he did really well and he had a really good run with it, kind of gets reawakened in him. I'm trying to imagine somebody, however, not liking this movie. I I guess I can see where you're coming from, but I I, I find it I think I, it would be difficult to sit in front of this movie and not have an emotional reaction to it. I think because the movie is so much about the audience's emotional reaction in other it, it's it's about the movies in the way that every movie is about the movies but there's something happening on stage and then you can see the audience's reactions i mean you're supposed to feel pain when he's doing the flea routine or he's you know doing any of his other routines and people start leaving they start checking their watch and they get up and go and so i i think even if you're not if you're not moved by his antics and I am moved by his antics. Yeah, I thought the flea uh, you, routine was funny by the way. I want to go on record and say I was I was glad you got to see Calderon's act. Yeah, okay. It 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 is fun and they they have to do it at some point so that you you can understand what's you know what's being done later. But there's there's something about it where even I think if you're not if you're not into classic Chaplin that you can feel pity that he that he doesn't have the audience or you, you still feel you still feel what he wants, even if you can't be an appreciative audience member. And so I, I think that the the movie still works along those lines, right? Like Ch Chaplin is just good at putting scenes together that have uh that have awkward urgency, like when he's trying to trying to get her upstairs and trying to, you know, turn the gas off and, and trying to try to get every that's a that's a classic Chaplin scene and it works. He's a virtuoso of frustration, and I think it's it would be very difficult not to be not to be pulled into that. And I think it's brilliant to have the funny act itself surrounded by the frustration of the lack of audience response. Right? It's the, it's the next evolution of of his act of as he was as the tramp. You mentioned the word frustration a few times there, and I think that's what's what that's why I mentioned death of a salesman before because. You know, he's very much like Willie Loman, that the, the the world is getting modernized, the world is going faster, and he's trying to find his place in it again. So there's a scene in Death of a Salesman. I don't know how how well you know Death of a Salesman, but I know it backwards and forwards. There's a scene where he goes to see Howard, um, the, who the, the son of his former boss, and he can't get a tape recorder to work and, and he messes it up. He's like, Howard, Howard, turn it off. And that when when um Calvero goes to see his manager. He's got on modern clothes. Like the, the the outfits look different, and he goes in there talking to his manager. Calvero does like he's got the cash the cachet of like um, Taylor Swift or Tom Cruise or somebody. But he's like, no, the, the world isn't paying for that kind of thing anymore. And that's kind of sad. Like, remember when Calvero won't do a benefit? He's like, I will not do a benefit performance. I don't want his charity. Um, someone says he's not the man he was. And Clara Bloom says, well, he mustn't be told that. And it's about, I think the pathos comes from, it's about this guy who kind of can't keep up with the world, even though he was, you know, he was good at one point, but the kind of the world kept going on. And he's trying to like hang on to that and, and reclaim his dignity 
and the theater manager doesn't recognize him. Correct. If you're correct, that's right. He says, "If only we had this clown that we used to have, Calvero, you know, th this would be a great performance." And somebody says, "That is Calvero." I have a question for you. Why do you think the film begins with a suicide attempt? I think because the film won't work if Calvero himself is the only locus of pity. There has to be something else it, it, because it's impossible to feel bad for him as pitiful and then for him to also to also make us laugh. And so I think that we need and Calvero needs some kind of perspective in order to to reframe what is tragic and what is not tragic. And so the it, it's what's what's happening to her is not tragic, but the fact that she wants to die is tragic. And that causes him spontaneously to talk about all the things that make him want to live or all yeah. the things that are beautiful about life, right? It, it, he's he's kind of a sad drunk when he comes home, but it's it's almost like two hands in poker. And she said, you know what I mean? He's got this, he's got the sad drunk, but she's got the young suicide and the, you know, the young suicide takes all the chips, which is actually what allows the scene where he's standing there with the kipper in his hand. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> what lets it work, you know, and it, it's, it's working because, because she's sad and beautiful. It's working because he's old and trying to preserve some dignity. It's working because as an audience member, you're wondering how long he's going to stand there holding a fish. And, and it's sort of like watching somebody juggle and all the elements of the scene combine together to make it work in a way that it wouldn't work. If, 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 if he just woke up one day and said, I'd like to go back on the stage again. That that doesn't that doesn't work. And also somebody who's enjoying success talking to him about what a bum he's become. That doesn't work. What situation could Calvero be in drunk and desperate and not successful anymore in order to lend a hand up? How far down would you have to be? That's right. what the film says. And it also provides the answer. It reminded me of a movie we've done before, which is Bad Bet's Feast. And when we did that movie, we talked about how by feeding others, she feeds herself. And that's kind of what I saw Calvero doing there, because what he does for her, I think, is so touching. Like when he goes and, and pawns the, his violin, and then he goes and gets to the oranges, and there's like a small moment, this is not my moment from part two, but where he takes the blanket and covers up her toe, like he, he gets pleasure from kind of nursing her back to health. And of course, one of the ways he nurses her back to health is making her laugh. And she's such a great audience, like her face just lights up when he's doing his routine for her and just being funny and she kind of like he's performing for her and she kind of reawakens that in him again he's trying to remember if he paid the rent yeah. and the the landlady downstairs clearly knows that he hasn't paid the rent so all he's got to do is go downstairs and sort of flirt with her a little bit and she's a responsive audience member and so you, when he says he's going to go downstairs there's something literally condescending as he's coming down the stairs about the way he comes down the stairs. But then you realize how gratified he is that he has an audience member who responds to his performances. And I think that that's, I think that that's very touching. Just when you think you understand what the dynamics are in any specific scene, they have the ability to just kind of flip the switch on you. And that's what's great about Chaplin. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. I also asked you about the suicide because I think that's so interesting that you mentioned before, like it gives him an occasion 
to to give someone advice and he, his advice is always keep fighting keep fighting like that you're like you're young why does the rock want to be a rock like why does the sun want to shine he has all the speeches and he keeps saying you should fight so i kept thinking to myself well fight against what like what do you have to fight against and i thought well it's fighting against like the meaningless of life it's fighting against despair and then i thought well what's the antidote to despair what's the antidote to the meaninglessness of life and i think that it's it's two things in this movie it's art and it's love and those are two things that you can, that those are the two weapons you have to fight against a meaningless universe. And they both come out for him and for her in the movie. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you were saying about how you don't necessarily blame the, the, the audience isn't evil, that it's not like they throw fruit at him. They're just disinterested. And what, what they are really is that they're almost a scientific force like entropy, right? It, when you try to get, get success together, you try to gather energy or heat, you know, into one locus and the energy and the universe will just kind of slowly rip it apart and redistribute it back where it goes. And you can think that that's sad. And I, I, I think that entropy works in time. And so the things that are timeless, which are art and love are the, that's the reason that they trump the, the entropic universe of entertainment. Art and love last longer than any specific bit about a flea circus. So welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moments. Mike, what's a moment from Limelight that you want to talk about? This is an interesting moment because if somebody came back to me after I told them to watch it and said, well, I don't like this movie, I bet I know where the movie lost you. And there's a scene where uh, he proves her that her legs walk and he says, okay, let's go for a walk together in the morning. But it's clearly them on a, they're on a studio treadmill and somebody's just kind of put up images of London in the background i'm fairly sure that if you don't really love movies or you're not bought into chaplin that's where the movie lost you but for some reason i still find that that scene totally works for me i don't know if it's just the two of them together i don't know if it's the specific scenes that they chose but uh that it, it comes about 45 minutes into the movie i feel like or not even halfway through and i felt that when i when I saw that, I knew that that was one of those moments where if you're if you don't like that, you should just turn it off. But if if that scene works for you, you can follow this movie all the way through. And I get that it's, it's just a limitation of a filmmaking or the way that they wanted to do it. But it's it seems outdated in the same way that Calvero's performances kind of seem outdated. It's like an audience test. Are you still with me? And you watch it and it say, yes, I'm still with you. And I so I feel like if somebody said that they don't like the movie, I, I bet you that has something to do with it. But there's there's something where I, I don't ever want them to restore the movie with, you know, some kind of AI right. chaplain walking with somebody. You, you should just leave it as it is, because it's it's something about movies. And I love chaplain and I love movies and I'm all bought in. Yeah, it's the same reason why you don't want movie, you don't want movies to be colorized. It, what, did you find that scene jarring at all? No, no actually, it's funny because I, 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 that didn't even occur to me at all. When you said you thought of a scene that people wouldn't like, I thought, well, if someone said they didn't like it because the scene looked cheesy or something, I'd say, well, then forget it. You're missing the whole point. Then just go watch, you know. That's what I mean. Go watch Spider-Man 7 or something. But, um, uh, you know, I thought I think that if the actors are good enough, you don't you don't care about any of that stuff. Like we know that we know that people aren't really driving cars when they have a rear projection of a road behind them. That's fine. And I don't care how good the rear projection is. I care about how good the acting is and how good the story is, the people in the car. Yeah, I I don't even mean like I'm 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 not even suspending my disbelief. I just no, didn't yeah. even bring it with me. Yeah. You know what exactly, I mean? I, because yeah. who cares? Who cares? But who I, cares? I know but I know that 
there are some people that that will be left behind. They've moved too far ahead to appreciate what's in front of them, which is exactly like the flea or or which is any exactly of like the audience performance. Yeah, yeah. that Calvera lost. So. What's your moment? My moment is just a, a, a perfectly fun moment is when he has the three tramps in his place and they're playing music really loud all night oh, and the landlady's getting a little tipsy and they're having a great time and there's empty bottles everywhere and he says, oh, a little beer in Beethoven or a little beer bucket in Beethoven. And what I love about that is that it, that's one of the themes of the movie. We said that art is a defense against the meaninglessness of life is that the movie shows you that people have a real desire to do something creative and it doesn't have to be professional if you can make money at it like calvero did like chaplin did you know then that's great but um there's something to be said for something that's autotelic right done for its own sake and they have no illusion that they're going to go and retire on this money he does a little stuff in the bar later on when she finds him like that's his like kind of traveling band um like credence clearwater revival would sing but it's it's done for its own sake and they're having fun and they're doing it all night and that's why they're playing and it reminds me of like why does somebody buy a guitar for a hundred dollars uh you know on ebay and then just just to teach themselves four chords so they can play like almost all the beatles songs and it just there's something about human beings that makes them want to create and i think that that's what this movie does um it's about it's about people that want to be creative him on the stage as a clown her as a dancer and and what it takes to get that going and what's brilliant about the movie is that the thing they're first creating is a relationship because remember it's fake they pretend to be married remember they have a fake mm -hmm. theatrical marriage and then of course she wants to make a real and he's like no no i'm too old but it's about it's about creative people kind of orbiting around each other and i just think that that moment is a great is a great um touch that that brings that to light and touching upon this bit about creativity i want to i want to ask you another question i asked you one in part one it's like double jeopardy here we go how about neville neville as she tells us the whole story who writes the music remember he would buy the the composition paper instead mm -hmm. of food and then he writes the piano music and it enraptured her and then she gets fired for for giving him the giving him the, the the sheet music and stuff like that his symphony was played at the albert hall and uh charlie chaplin says to her of course you're in love with him but she says i don't even know him so what do you make of the fact that that is it is it just another layer of like this of these people who are creative like neville's role in the film is that he actually is another working creative person right and that and that he kind of like adds to the triangle it's that to remind you i think that there's always uh upswings and downswings and so you you can't marry me because i'm on a downswing i'm on the downswing of life i'm on the downswing of career but my upswing was also at the expense of somebody's downswing you know there was some kind of outside clown or something who wasn't on the stage and then i got on the stage and so it's 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 about the, the problem between the two of them is not their fit together. The problem is timing. Right. And so right. The, the the thing about Neville is, is he as charming as Calvero? No, but he is better timed that it's it's a it's fitting and right that they should yeah. be together. And, but now, of course, the thing about Neville is that he's played by Sidney Chaplin, Charles Chaplin's son. And so the, the right. The point is what you would love is a younger me in the bloom of youth and in the bloom of success. And so literally he's played by a younger him. That's great. Yeah. Like, um, so Charlie Chaplin can't marry her because it doesn't make dramatic sense. It, it, makes or, more... it does make economic sense. It doesn't make right. any kind of sense. Right. But the, I'm not going to be around after we get married, but he will. And you can hit your wagon to a star and a younger version of me. 
Okay, so in part three, of course, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. Dan, I have no idea which direction you're going to take it in, so go. I got a couple of directions. First of all, you and I are both great, great admirers of P.G. Woodhouse. We are. Do you know the name of P.G. Woodhouse's autobiography? Uh, ah, yes. The Performing Flea. Yes, and of course, that's Calvero, that he does the flea circus, because that's ultimately what you are, is you are a performing flea in this giant, giant circus. I had to bring that up just because I know we love Woodhouse. But what I want to start with part three is this. In Scott Iman's new book, Charlie Chaplin versus America, um, it's a terrific, terrific book. I interviewed him for the New Books Network. We'll drop the link in the description. It's a great book, great interview, great writer. Anyway, he has a part in here about the making of Limelight, and he has a quotation from Claire Bloom talking about being on the set when Buster Keaton was there. And it was a famous thing because he brought Buster Keaton back and he wanted to give him his props and he certainly gets them. They do the whole scene together with the piano. And I want to read you something and get your reaction to this because I think that this passage is not from the film, but it's it, it totally ties into what the film is like. And here it is. So this is Clara Bloom saying what it was like to work with Buster Keaton. She says this, quote, his reserve was extreme as was his isolation. He remained to himself on the set until one day, to my astonishment, he took from his pocket a color postcard of a large Hollywood mansion and showed it to me. In the friendliest, most intimate way, he explained to me that it had once been his home. That was it. He retreated back into silence and never addressed a word to me again. So Buster Keaton, you may know, was really down on his luck. He was like Calvaro. Yeah. And so he carried around this photo a postcard of his house and showed it. That was my house and that was it. And they never talked about it again. So what do you make of that in connection to this movie? It, it, ups- start, it right? upsets me. It upsets me as a lover of Buster Keaton's work that the person that made Sherlock Jr. did not get to retire rich. Uh, I don't I don't know how much you love Buster Keaton, but when I saw that movie, that made me fall in love with, with Buster Keaton, who is known amongst the early Hollywood elite as the best there ever was. There's not a guy who would give more. There's not a guy who was more inventive with the camera. He in, he invented things as as his own stuntman that are still done today or are seen in appreciation. And like, how how is that done? Nobody has any idea. It's like the pyramids. You know, it's just it, a former a former civilization is responsible for something that we cannot explain. He invented the idea of Tom Cruise doing his own stunts for Mission Impossible. A hundred percent. But the point is that Tom Cruise does not walk around with a po- uh, picture postcard, you know, of because a, a he house he used to. to live in. He he walks around with the printed out copy of the house he's going to buy. And, the, the, the you know, and I, as much as we love Tom Cruise on the show, <laughs> or at least his work, um, that strikes me as as unf- unfair in a way, only because. Yeah, Bust- that's why I read it. Buster Keaton becomes a Buster Keaton character. You know, that like old Buster Keaton who shows up to the set, who's invited by chat. Right? It, it is a benefit for Buster Keaton to give him his due, because if you're chaplain, although you can although you can sing and dance and write novels and you're endlessly creative, there's only one guy on Earth that has more props in black and white than you. And it's Buster, Buster Keaton. Keaton. And so you and so you invite him into the project. It's it's something it's something deeply there's something reverent about it. Like just next to the religious, not quite, but just next to it. Yeah, right next to the religious. That's great. I love the fact that he sh- he carries around the picture because it reminded me of Calvero. Not not to that extent, but remember what Calvero has hanging in his apartment? 
pictures his, of his yeah his old his old theatrical posters and stuff so it's a reminder of, of the great times i once had and the reminder of what i once was but as we know from just watching movies for a, a few years you know this about how um how quickly things go um and how quickly fame leaves and how quickly audiences taste can change and that um that he carries around that moment like i was somebody and that's why i thought of willie loman in the beginning and that's what the movie's about it's about this guy trying to like you know regain his dignity what do you make at the end? What do you make of him dying on stage while she dances by him or off stage? I should say. Well, you mentioned the red shoes to start and, you know, not, not to end this movie by jumping into another movie, but the, the red shoes is something about the, the perfection of art and how it, it can't stay here. It, it appears and disappears. And this movie offers another, but in a way just more crippling, and destroying reading, which is that the perfection of art stays, but it it kind of jumps from person to person because she is enjoying the perfection of art. It, his it's the composer's music, it's Neville's music, and it's the the ballerina on stage in their, you know, in their perfection. But he's but he's gone. It's like how the devil jumps out of uh, Linda Blair into the priest at the end of The Exorcist. It's it's something no, well, but it's some it's something that the. Against the entropy of the universe is the is the constancy of art. Um, you know, there's there's the old joke that somebody you know somebody asks the philosopher, um, you know, is there eternal life? And he says, yes, but not for you. <laughs> right? It's that that the, there's a thing there's a thing that goes on, but right. you're not participating in it. Right. And it's it's again it's against the entropy of any particular audience. Right? There will always be an audience, but not for you. Which is so sad. I mean, I think that the charge of sentimentality could be leveled against the end of the movie, that the way he dies, his heart stops out of joy, right? Now, you're making a face right now on Zoom because you can't imagine, but you could, I can understand somebody saying that. I wouldn't agree with it. And even if it is a little sentimental, that's fine. But I think the, the defense against that is, yeah, but he dies in a way that he he hoped to have lived. Like he dies in the presence of great art. Yeah, but I, th I think it's the, they're, they're, I think the ending is sub-zero that, 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 because the same thing's going to happen to her and the same thing happened to somebody else. Right. Right. right? They're, 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 it's like the, they're just, the dance goes on whether you're there to see it or not. It like art, art is an anomaly in the matrix. Right. But the, the but that's the continue. Like there will always be one. It's just not, it's not you anymore. Yeah. Which is sad because you think about what you're going to miss. You think about like, you know, like someone's not alive to hear the song or someone's not alive to read this book or to see this movie, but that's, you know, what, what is it? R is longer. What is, you know, you know, life is short, art is long. And it, it, I think, I think if there is any sentimentality or if it's anywhere sub-zero there, that there's a continuance of life, but just not, just not here. You know I mean? Maybe they're like, as far as the, as far as the sphere of the earth, that like this is, there's. It is actually the veil of tears, you know, that because he's crying and she's crying and then she's got to go on. And he says, no, 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 I'll talk to you after. But he knows, you know, he says, OK, I'm dying. And and he knows and he knows that he's dying. So if there's if there's any sentimentality whatsoever, it's that he can appreciate her performance while he's not in the body. But definitely this entertainment business is as cold as it comes because there will always be an audience, but not for you. And you might not survive, but the films will. So Charlie Chaplin isn't around anymore, but we're sitting here talking about limelight. So what does that tell you? It's just like Hamlet. It starts, it starts afresh every single time you hit play. Great pick, Mike. Great pick.
Thanks for listening to our conversation about Limelight. You could follow us on X at 15MIN Film. You could follow us where else? Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. Let us know what we should do. We take requests. Tell us on X. Tell us on, you can email us. We have the address on there as well, 15minutefilm at gmail.com. We really appreciate you listening. Please follow the show, leave us reviews and stay in touch. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time.